0: Situated between the town of Bury and the village of Norden lies a small hamlet of Birtle nestled away in the northwest of England. Dotted along the rolling fields are many farm buildings and small businesses that have been passed down through many generations and it's within this setting we are traveling back almost 200 years ago and to the evening of Saturday the 1st of October 1825. It was a miserable and wet evening with localized flooding taking place in some parts of the area with fields saturated by a downpour of rain that had struck the area only a few hours prior. Benjamin Cass was a farmer but on a small scale who owned his own property as well as several others that he rented out and had standards of living where to go one could say he and his wife had a comfortable life. Benjamin who was 65 years old was known by many in the local area to be a man of careful habits someone who had his head screwed on when it came down to business and he was never short of a penny or two. Having only married a few years prior Benjamin shared his home with his wife Alice, who was older than him at the age of 76. It was at around 7pm on the 1st of October, a man by the name of John Chadwick called up Marcroft's, the home of Benjamin and Alice. This in itself was nothing unusual as John would often call on his friend on a Saturday evening where they would share jokes, often talk about how business was doing, as well as take on a few shots of brandy or whisky or whatever else was on offer. John would stay at the Cassis farm until around 10pm. And after reading a pamphlet together, John bid his goodbyes to both Benjamin and Alice. Benjamin rose from his chair that was situated close by to a fire, and he escorted John to the door. Meanwhile, Alice was sat alone at the end of a couch, which was also next to the seat that Benjamin had been sat in for most of the evening. She had begun to rouse herself from where she was sitting, apparently readying herself to retire for the night. Outside, it was still raining as both John and Benjamin walked 10 to 15 feet out into the yard. There, they spent a few moments talking before John made his way into the darkness of the night and towards his home that was only around 300 to 400 yards away. Unbeknownst to him, this would be the very last time he would ever see his friend, Benjamin, alive ever again. The following morning, and just after 6am, Joseph Cass called in on his brother Benjamin so they could both partake in their usual routine of going for a walk in the fields that both of them owned. Strangely, upon arriving at Benjamin's home, the door was found to be unlocked. Making his way in, Joseph quickly came across Benjamin sitting in the same chair he had spent most of the previous evening sat in. His wife Alice was seemingly leaning upon his shoulder. "'What? Are you asleep?' Joseph jokingly asked. Getting no response... Joseph walked closer to the couple until he was close enough to place his hand on Benjamin's head. No sooner had he placed his hand down, he quickly raised it. Struck with horror, and after looking at his hand, Joseph recoiled at the sight of the blood that had covered most of the palm of his hand when it came into view. At this point, Joseph instantly knew both Benjamin and Alice were lying in a lifeless state. Running out of the house, he quickly made his way over to the house of John Chadwick. Alerting him to the horror inside his brother's house, both Joseph and John made their way back over to Cassie's farm. On arrival, Chadwick was first to enter the house and he soon found himself confronted by an horrendous sight. And just as Chadwick had seen the night before, Benjamin Cass was, as already mentioned, sat in the same seat as he was during the Saturday evening. His head was leaning against the back of the chair and he had his feet stretched out against the fender close to a fire. Alice Cass was seated on the arm of the couch which she had also occupied the previous evening. Her head was leaning on Benjamin's right shoulder, and both her arms were hanging down, one before the other behind the chair. Now on the floor, near to the chair, was a fire poker, as well as part of an old coal shovel. It was matted with blood and grey hairs from both that of Benjamin's head and his wife's Alice. The shovel, due to years of use, had been worn away to a relatively small size, with the edges being extremely sharp. Taking a close look at both Benjamin and Alice, it was clearly obvious that tremendous rage and violence had been used against the couple. Benjamin Cass had received several cuts with a shovel, one of which had divided the nose far down the face. Another cut was found on his chin and a third on the back of his neck. And whilst the details of this may seem sickening, this was only the beginning. The person or persons responsible for such brutality, not content with using the shovel to commit their awful deeds, decided to make use of the poker. Blow after blow rained down on both Benjamin and Alice, fracturing their skulls to such an extent that their facial features were so dreadfully mutilated it would be extremely difficult for the police surgeon to identify the victims just by look alone. For example, the back of Benjamin's head was completely open, with his nose and chin split apart. Such was the severity of the blows to his head. As for this scene of the double murder, it resembled that of an abattoir. Blood splattered the walls and floor. The seats and couch both had been sat on had become a red mass of congealed blood. The room was ransacked with drawers being left open and items of personal belongings scattered on the floor and side units. Surprisingly, whoever committed the murders had never searched the upper parts of the farmhouse as 13 shillings and 6 pence were still found lying on a windowsill. Also, the victims' bodies didn't seem to have been searched as both had small sums of money still in their pockets, which would later be found by a local constable who was alerted to the crime not too long after both Joseph Cass and John Chadwick had found them lying dead. On Monday, 3rd of October, the coroner's inquest will begin in earnest and take place within the Bird in Hand public house before Mr Farrand. The proceedings will begin at 9am and conclude at around 6pm late that evening. And whilst no satisfactory conclusion could be made as to who the person or persons responsible for the murders of both Benjamin and Alice Cass were, speculation soon rose that perhaps it was a relative who may have been responsible Now no single name was ever mentioned and no fingers pointed to anyone in particular, but the police would assume that because nothing was taken from the property as was then supposed, then someone perhaps close to the Cassies may have been the perpetrator. However, the inquest would be adjourned mid-afternoon without any conclusive evidence ever being produced and upon its resumption later in the day, suspicions began to entertain the idea of another person, a man named John Diggle, who was a native of Birtle but who was living in Bury as a person of interest who could perhaps be an important witness into the events that took place at Cassie's farm. Whatever evidence was found was enough to satisfy the authorities that Diggle was a man of interest in this case, and on Tuesday 4th of October, Deputy Constable Andrews from Bury was informed that a man had been apprehended in Royton over in Oldham, under circumstances which had induced suspicion that he was indeed connected with the murder of Benjamin and Alice. Andrews duly made his way to Royton where upon his arrival he found Deagle in custody. Andrews' subsequent investigations led him to reveal that Deagle had arrived in the Unicorn public house in Royton and after downing several drinks he had attracted the wrong kind of attention from others in the public house as he sang and danced for a long period of time. And whilst this in itself may not seem too relevant, what did pique the interest of Andrews was that Deagle had tried to sell clothing, spectacles and an umbrella which he had in his possession. A man by the name of John Wilde had agreed to purchase some items of interest off Diggle, paying part of the money with the rest, around seven or eight shillings being outstanding. Wilde told Diggle he would have to return home for the remainder of the money, but something came over him to which he would return back to the public house, telling Diggle he wanted to give back the items of clothing he had purchased from him. He would also offer to buy Diggle a quart of ale, providing Diggle would return his money. Diggle wavered the remainder of the money owed to him by telling Wilde he could keep the clothes, but only as long as he bought him the quart of ale as promised. Throughout that evening they were both spent time drinking together until Wilde left. Returning home Wilde first called upon Elizabeth Meller, a friend and told her of the bargain he had met with Diggle. He would also leave the clothes he had purchased from Diggle with her. News had quickly spread regarding the murders that had taken place over in nearby Birtle and word soon reached Elizabeth. The following morning she would contact Jonathan Chadwick a police constable of Royton and pass over the clothing Wilde had given to her. Interested in this story that Elizabeth had told him and of course, after hearing about the murders over in Bertel, Chadwick soon caught up with Deagle and took him to the Spread Eagle public house. After questioning him over the Bertle murders, Deagle would be arrested and put inside the lockup at Reuton. And on Wednesday 5th of October, Deagle was transferred from Reuton back to Bertel along with the articles he had in his possession. Upon his arrival, many of the articles were quickly identified as those belonging to the late Benjamin Cass, especially a pair of shoes and the spectacles. And later that day, Diggle was taken to the infirmary, where he would view the bodies of both Benjamin and Alice, but his demeanour was that of someone not remotely interested or seemingly bothered at the situation he was now in. The case would soon escalate, and during an examination, blood would be found in several places on Diggle's shirt. It would also transpire that information would soon be received by the police, which would indicate that Diggle had been seen over near nearby Rochdale at around 1 o'clock in the morning on Sunday the 2nd of October, and this was by a group of men who had lit a charcoal pit. He had with him two bundles of clothing and other items, and after spending some time with the men and offering them cheese and bread, a man by the name of Samuel Sledden bought two pairs of the stockings, which would later be proved to be those once owned by Benjamin Cass. It also seems that the bread and cheese had also been taken from the Cass's home. Diggle would stay with the men till around six o'clock in the morning, and then would leave with Sledden, heading off into the direction of Littleborough, Both men would spend a short time drinking two pints of ale at the sign of the gate public house, and at around 7 o'clock both men parted on a road to Halifax. Giggle, now obviously realising the dire situation he was in, would bring to the attention of Andrews the name of another person whom he said he had bought the items off. That name was Ralph Weston. On Sunday 16th October, Weston would be apprehended in the neighbourhood of Keithley and transported over to Bury the following day. When questioned about the events that took place on Saturday 1st of October, he immediately proved he had an alibi on the night in question. Despite Deagle's protestations that it was Weston who had gone into the Cassie's home on the night of the murders and brought out the clothing that was found in Deagle's possession, Weston was soon acquitted of any wrongdoing. Weston would tell the police that he was with Deagle on the Thursday, Friday and until 3 in the afternoon on the Saturday when the murders took place. He left Deagle and made his way over to Burnley, where he applied for work with a friend he had known for a while by the name of Steen Smith. Unfortunately, there was no work for Weston, but Smith told him he could sleep at his house for the night. The following morning, on Sunday, 2nd of October, Weston made his way over to Todmorden, where he remained all day and slept in a barn later that night. He then managed to travel into Keighley, where he found work with Messrs. Knight and Sons. On Sunday, 22nd of October, the final inquiry into the murders of Benjamin and Alice Cass would begin. The jury would hear how Weston had an alibi, and after going over the details once again on the night the murders took place, the jury, now satisfied that the murders were now done by one person only, would bring in a verdict of willful murder against Diggle, and on Sunday 23rd of October, he would be transferred to the Lancaster Assizes to await his trial. Interestingly, on Saturday 29th of October, reporters had been allowed into the dungeons at Lancaster where Diggle was being held. One in particular who had worked for the Bolton Express reported that Diggle was a fine, healthy, looking man, about five feet, six inches in height, but with an overhanging brow and a stern look about him. He would, however, assume a carelessness attitude, at times breathing with heavy sighs and then occasionally seemingly roused for a moment to his state of self-worth. One thing that struck the reporter was that he never once looked him in the eye. Instead, he would survey with a wild and hurried look the room he was confined in. During the interview with the reporter, Cass would confess to being part of the robbery, but reaffirmed that he had waited for Ralph Weston in a meadow near the house of the Casses, and that on Weston's return, he asked him, What he had done to him? To which Weston replied, I've hurt him, but not killed him. On Thursday, March 16th, 1826, the long-awaited trial for John Diggle would commence at 8.30 in the morning before Mr Justice Bailey. John Diggle, accused of murdering both Benjamin and Alice Cass, would take to the bar. He was, in appearance, a stout, healthy and active man of about 30 to 35 years of age, and had sandy coloured hair, blue eyes and a fresh complexion. His demeanour was perfectly calm, and after the charges of willful murder were put before him, he simply replied with, not guilty. Both John Chadwick and Joseph Cass would take to the stand and go over the disturbing events that took place back on October 1st the previous year. John Goodlad, a surgeon from Bury, would also take to the stand detailing the horrific injuries both Benjamin and his wife Alice had sustained at the hands of their attacker, telling the jury that whilst the kosher had obviously made the cuts deep to Benjamin's face and head, it was the poker that was found at the scene that had certainly inflicted death on both the victims. A new witness came forward by the name of Richard Briley, who told the court that on the 1st of October he had seen Diggle on the road from Bury to Haslingdon at around 3.30pm in the afternoon heading in the direction of Bury. Diggle was with Ralph Weston. He would also tell the court that the next time he had seen Diggle was at the coroner's inquest at the bird in hand. John Quick, who had known Diggle for two to three years by sight only, would also tell the courts that he had seen him on the 1st of October, between 4 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and about two miles from the Cass's farmhouse. He did not have anything in his hands, and he was alone heading into the direction of Bury. Evidence was produced of Deagle having disport of clothes and shoes belonging to Benjamin Cass to two different parties, and the articles sold by him being identified by neighbours of Benjamin. William Cass, nephew of Benjamin and a shoemaker who had made the shoes, would prove the identity of them, and so would the tailor who made the clothes, as being the property of Benjamin Cass. Joseph Courts, an inmate at the lockup at the same time Diggle was apprehended, would tell the court of a discussion that he had with Diggle during their short time together. Diggle told Coates that both he and Ralph Weston were in company, and Weston said he was going to go to old Cassies and would have something or he would kill somebody. Diggle said to Coates, I waited for him at the old West Meadow. When he came back I asked him if he had killed them. He said no, but he had hurt them, and said, As you are going on tramp, take these clothes, you may make something of them, for if I am catched with them about Bury, they would take me up. Diggle went on. We then went by Jericho to Littlewood Cross. We then bid each other good night and parted. It was about 12 o'clock. He said he would apply to a factory for work and that I came to another fire on the other side of Rochdale. Another important witness was John Watmore, a spinner from Rochdale, who would also tell the court that when he was in the lock-up on the 24th of October, Ralph Weston was brought in. He overheard a conversation between Diggle and Weston. He remembered Diggle saying to Weston, What are you getting here? Weston replied, Jack, did you not say that I gave you the clothes in the middle of the meadow? Yes, I'll stand to it, replied Diggle. You know very well you are telling lies. I was at Burnley that night. Mr Justice Bailey, having listened to all the evidence submitted to the court, summed it all up in some considerable length, and the jury, after retiring for around three quarters of an hour, returned with the verdict of guilty. The judge, after a long address to Diggle, would pronounce on him the sentence of death. Diggle remained stern, never once balking at the penalty imposed upon him. He maintained the same attitude throughout the trial, gazing upon the bench, and he left the bar with the greatest of apathy but his demeanour would soon change. As Diggle was taken to his cell, he immediately burst into tears. All the sturdy and unshaken firmness which had manifested throughout his trial soon gave way to weeping, and he would keep reaffirming his innocence to those around him. And yet, when Reverend Joseph Rowlett, chaplain of the prison, paid him a visit shortly after being sentenced, Diggle would seemingly admit to being at Cassie's home on the night of the murder, and it was he and he alone who committed the murders. Although he acknowledged that the bloody deed was committed by himself alone, he maintained that the subject of the robbery was first suggested to him by Ralph Weston. He would tell the Reverend that he had waited for some considerable time at a small bridge near to Ashworth before he went to Cassie's house. He would also say to the Reverend that he was under the influence of drink, and that ever since the murders took place he had been plagued with remorse. On Sunday 19th March, Deagle attended the chapel, along with two other prisoners set for execution, James Simpson and Thomas Martin. He appeared to be composed and firm just like he was during his trial. That evening he slept composedly throughout and at around 11am on Monday 20th March the final rites were administered to him and he would be pinioned ready for his execution. By 12pm Deagle had made his way to the scaffold the burial service would be read to him by the Reverend Joseph Rowley, and after the white cloth was placed over his head, he would be launched into eternity as the trap door was opened beneath his feet. His death was not instantaneous as he struggled slightly for a few passing moments, but ultimately he would be left hanging for around an hour. His body would later be removed and given to surgeons for dissection and research which was usually the case for those who had been executed. And in another sad twist of fate, Diggle would leave behind him a wife and one child. Benjamin and Alice Cass were interred at St. James' Chapel, Ashworth, Rochdale, on Saturday 5th March 1825. The churchyard also contains relatives of both the Cass and Eagle family. So thank you very much for listening, I hope you enjoyed this story, and if you want more, please show some support and comment down below. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram as well as YouTube, links are down below. But in the meantime, take care and we're back soon with another tale from the past.